Welcome to Just Listen, a celebration of literature from Nashville Public Library. For more stories and poetry, visit our website at library.nashville.org. Please feel free to leave a comment or to make requests or recommendations. And now, for today's selection. The harsh reality of plague asserts itself not only in Edgar Allan Poe's story, The Mask of the Red Death, but also in Daniel Defoe's first-person account of the plague ravaging London in the year 1665. Perhaps more famous for his novel, Robinson Crusoe, Defoe was an eyewitness to the horrors of the plague, and it is through his observations that we come to know, perhaps, the most true-to-life and believable narrations of one of humanity's most dreadful hours. Alas, London was to suffer even more, for in 1666 the Great Fire broke out and destroyed much of the city, killing, as it burned, the sources of plague in the city, from where the rats carried the plague-infested fleas to the populace. For a narrative of that event, we refer you to Samuel Pepys, the great diarist of the age. But for now, we present excerpts from A Journal of the Plague Year by Daniel Defoe. We begin. The face of London was now indeed strangely altered. I mean the whole mass of buildings, city, liberties, suburbs, Westminster, Southwark, and altogether— for as to the particular part called the city, or within the walls, that was not yet much infected. But in the whole the face of things, I say, was much altered. Sorrow and sadness sat upon every face, and though some parts were not yet overwhelmed, yet all looked deeply concerned, and as we saw it apparently coming on, so everyone looked on himself and his family as in the utmost danger." Were it possible to represent those times exactly to those that did not see them, and give the reader due ideas of the horror that everywhere presented itself, it must make just impressions upon their minds and fill them with surprise. London might well be said to be all in tears. The mourners did not go about the streets, indeed, for nobody put on black or made a formal dress of mourning for their nearest friends. But the voice of mourning was truly heard in the streets— the shrieks of women and children at the windows and doors of their houses, where their dearest relations were perhaps dying or just dead, were so frequent to be heard as we passed the streets that it was enough to pierce the stoutest heart in the world to hear them. Tears and lamentations were seen almost in every house, especially in the first part of the visitation, for toward the latter end men's hearts were hardened, and death was so always before their eyes that they did not so much concern themselves for the loss of their friends, expecting that themselves should be summoned the next hour. I went all the first part of the time freely about the streets, though not so freely as to run myself into apparent danger, except when they dug the great pit in the churchyard of our parish of Aldgate. A terrible pit it was, and I could not resist my curiosity to go and see it. As near as I may judge, it was about forty feet in length and about fifteen or sixteen feet broad, and at the time I first looked at it, about nine feet deep. But it was said they dug it near twenty feet deep afterwards in one part of it, till they could go no deeper for the water, for they had, it seems, dug several large pits before this." 
For though the plague was long a coming to our parish, yet when it did come, there was no parish in or about London where it raged with such violence as in the two parishes of Aldgate and Whitechapel. I saw they had dug several pits in another ground when the distemper began to spread in our parish, and especially when the dead carts began to go about, which was not in our parish till the beginning of August. Into these pits they had put perhaps fifty or sixty bodies each. Then they made larger holes, wherein they buried all that the cart brought in a week, which, by the middle to the end of August, came to from two hundred to four hundred a week and they could not well dig them larger, because of the order of the magistrates confining them to leave no bodies within six feet of the surface. And the water coming on at about seventeen or eighteen feet, they could not well, I say, put more in one pit. But now, at the beginning of September, the plague raging in a dreadful manner, and the number of burials in our parish increasing to more than was ever buried in any parish about London of no larger extent, they ordered this dreadful gulf to be dug, for such it was rather than a pit. They had supposed this pit would have supplied them for a month or more when they dug it, and some blamed the church wardens for suffering such a frightful thing, telling them they were making preparations to bury the whole parish and the like. But time made it appear that the church wardens knew the condition of the parish better than they did, for the pit being finished the 4th of September, I think, they began to bury in it the 6th, and by the 20th, which was just two weeks, they had thrown into it 1114 bodies, when they were obliged to fill it up, the bodies being then come to lie within six feet of the surface." I doubt not, but there may be some ancient persons alive in the parish who can justify the fact of this, and are able to show even in what place of the churchyard the pit lay better than I can. The mark of it also was many years to be seen in the churchyard on the surface, lying in length parallel with the passage which goes by the west wall of the churchyard out of Houndsditch and turns east again unto Whitechapel, coming out near the Three Nuns Inn. It was about the 10th of September that my curiosity led, or rather drove me, to go and see this pit again, when there had been near four hundred people buried in it. And I was not content to see it in the daytime, as I had done before, for then there would have been nothing to have been seen but the loose earth, for all the bodies that were thrown in were immediately covered with earth by those they called the barriers, which at other times were called bearers, but I resolved to go in the night and see some of them thrown in. There was a strict order to prevent people coming to those pits, and that was only to prevent infection. But after some time that order was more necessary, for people that were infected and near their end, and delirious also, would run to those pits, wrapped in blankets or rugs, and throw themselves in, and, as they said, bury themselves. I cannot say that the officers suffered any willingly to lie there, but I have heard that in a great pit in Finsbury, in the parish of Cripplegate, it lying open then to the fields, for it was not then walled about, some came and threw themselves in and expired there, before they threw any earth upon them, and that when they came to bury others and found them there, they were quite dead, though not cold." This may serve a little to describe the dreadful condition of that day, 
though it is impossible to say anything that is able to give a true idea of it to those who did not see it, other than this, that it was indeed very, very, very dreadful, and such as no tongue can express. I got admittance into the churchyard by being acquainted with the sexton who attended, who, though he did not refuse me at all, yet earnestly persuaded me not to go, telling me very seriously, for he was a good, religious, and sensible man, that it was indeed their business and duty to venture and to run all hazards, and that in it they might hope to be preserved, but that I had no apparent call to it but my own curiosity, which, he said, he believed I would not pretend was sufficient to justify my running that hazard. I told him I had been pressed in my mind to go, and that perhaps it might be an instructing sight that might not be without its uses. Nay, says the good man, if you will venture upon that score, name of God go in, for depend upon it, twill be a sermon to you. It may be the best that you ever heard in your life. Tis a speaking sight, says he, and has a voice with it, and a loud one, to call us all to repentance. And with that he opened the door and said, Go, if you will. His discourse had shocked my resolution a little, and I stood wavering for a good while, but just at that interval I saw two torches come over from the end of the minories, and heard the bellman, and then appeared a dead cart, as they called it, coming over the streets, so I could no longer resist my desire of seeing it, and went in. There was nobody, as I could perceive at first, in the churchyard or going into it, but the barriers and the fellow that drove the cart, or rather led the horse and cart. But when they came up to the pit, they saw a man go to and fro, muffled up in a brown cloak, and making motions with his hands under his cloak, as if he was in a great agony. And the barriers immediately gathered about him, supposing he was one of those poor, delirious, or desperate creatures that used to pretend, as I have said, to bury themselves. He said nothing as he walked about, but two or three times groaned very deeply and loud, and sighed as he would break his heart. When the barriers came up to him, they soon found he was neither a person infected and desperate, as I have observed above, or a person distempered in mind, but one oppressed with a dreadful weight of grief indeed, having his wife and several of his children all in the cart that was just coming with him, and he followed in an agony and excess of sorrow. He mourned heartily, as it was easy to see, but with a kind of masculine grief that could not give itself vent by tears and calmly defying the barriers to let him alone, said he would only see the bodies thrown in and go away, so they left importuning him. But no sooner was the cart turned round and the bodies shot into the pit promiscuously, which was a surprise to him, for he at least expected they would have been decently laid in, though indeed he was afterwards convinced that that was impracticable. I say no sooner did he see the sight, but he cried out aloud, unable to contain himself. I could not hear what he said, but he went backward two or three steps and fell down in a swoon. The barriers ran to him and took him up, and in a little while he came to himself, and they led him away to the pie tavern over against the end of Houndsditch, where it seems the man was known and where they took care of him. He looked into the pit again as he went away, but the barriers had covered the bodies so immediately with throwing in earth that though there was light enough, 
for there were lanterns and candles in them, placed all night around the sides of the pit, upon heaps of earth, seven or eight, or perhaps more, yet nothing could be seen. This was a mournful scene indeed, and affected me almost as much as the rest, but the other was awful and full of terror. The cart had in it sixteen or seventeen bodies. Some were wrapped up in linen sheets, some in rags, some little other than naked, or so loose that what covering they had fell from them in the shooting out of the cart, and they fell quite naked among the rest. But the matter was not much to them, or the indecency much to anyone else, seeing they were all dead, and were to be huddled together into the common grave of mankind, as we may call it. For here was no difference made, but poor and rich went together. There was no other way of burials, neither was it possible there should, for coffins were not to be had for the prodigious numbers that fell in such a calamity as this. Thanks for joining us. Tune in to another session of Just Listen by visiting your Nashville Public Library website at library.nashville.org.